1: verses 21 through 27, which you can find at page 799 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of the Lord. Do not fear, O soil. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Second text comes from the Gospel of John. The 18th chapter, verses 33 to 37. found a new pew Bible on page 106 if you'd like to follow along. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Then Pilate entered the headquarters. Again, he summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we might be different people than those who came into this sacred space, even to be more like your Son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Have you heard that before? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's one way of saying that the culture of an organization, whether it be a community or a school or a company or a government or the church, that culture is far more important in those organizational communities, in those contexts, than is strategy. than the strategies that, that those organizations would employ to achieve their goals. In other words, the habits, the relationships, the standards, the values that help people belong to a particular community, that help give them meaning, the culture itself, that that culture is more important than the strategies or the process to obtain said organization's goals. To be sure, culture and strategy should go hand in hand. Their work should be aligned. But without a healthy culture that is supporting the accomplishment of the goals and the vision of the organization, without a healthy culture, that strategy can become mute or even irrelevant. I had a friend in town last week, and he was sharing with me about his discernment process as to whether or not he was going to leave his current job. He's in sales, and over the past several years, he's built a sizable book amidst his clients, and financially, he is very comfortable. But despite his success and his security, he told me that he was looking to make a move, that he has an offer from a totally different company, that he would have to start from scratch to build a book back up, but he was seriously considering it. And so naturally I asked, well, why is it that you are thinking about making a change? Especially you'll have to go down to ground zero. How how are you going to do that? How are you going to make ends meet financially with the lifestyle that you've become accustomed to? Why is it that you're making this decision? And he said, the culture is killing me. He said, the culture of the company is killing me. There's colleagues that are backstabbing and undermining one another. There are cliques and hostilities. There is a vindictive spirit in the place that is actually demotivating. I don't want to show up to the office. I don't want to come to work. So I had a follow-up question for him. I said, well, what about the boss? What about the CEO? What is he doing to counter this culture? He said, that's the problem. Not only does he tolerate this, but he perpetuates it with his own behavior, that he's an instigator of the dysfunction, that he is an active participant in creating this culture. You see, when it comes to creating a healthy culture, in any community or any organization, leadership matters, right? Leadership matters. I'm convinced that great leaders focus their time and energy on doing two things exceptionally well. Two things exceptionally well. First, they convene a team of great leaders around them, and they invest their time and their energy in equipping them to succeed. Ronald Reagan said it well. He said, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. The greatest leaders are the ones that get people to do great things that gets others to do great things. So that's the first thing I think great leaders do, is they convene a team, and they invest in that team so that they can succeed. Second, great leaders are the principal architects of their organization's culture. They are the principal architects of their organization's culture, and they seek to create a culture where the people they serve and the mission they support do nothing but thrive. They seek to create a culture so that the people they serve and the purposes that they serve do nothing but thrive. So when it comes to creating a culture in any community, any organization, any company, leadership matters. And it matters a ton. A few weeks ago, I had the chance to be in a presentation by a man named Rob Miller, who's part of a group called Proactive Coaching. They are a national company that works with schools and their student-athletes in creating a culture of a, of a team-oriented and character-based system. So they come in and they help student-athletes and the schools create this team-oriented and character-based culture. At one point, Mr. Miller talked about the culture of youth sports and how parents who are the leaders of their homes are often the cause, he says, of, of creating unhealthy and unsustainable Youth cultures, when it comes to student athletes, these cultures that sometimes produce animosity in the student athlete, produce a bitterness that they're constantly forced to perform and to achieve, they also can experience burnout or all of the above. He cited interesting statistics that noted that the top two reasons that kids play youth sports, number one is to have fun, and number two is to be with their friends. Parents have a different perspective. When they're asked what the number one and two reasons are for why you want your kids to play youth sports, they typically say something along the lines of social status or social integration. That's number one. And number two is the potential for a college scholarship. He was quick to point out that for every one athletic scholarship, there are 40 academic scholarships waiting to be had, which begs the question, Why are we investing so much time on the athletic field for a scholarship instead of investing in the classroom, which is another sermon uh, altogether different. But he talked about parents creating these unhealthy cultures. And he gave some examples of this. And I have to say, it was quite convicting. He said, parents create this culture by keeping stats at their kids' games paying more attention to the the numbers than the actual play, or that when they get in the car, they review every play of the entire game with the kid. He said these practices create an unhealthy culture for the child. He said what's also detrimental is when they have a coach and you decide to also coach them. They have a proper coach but you're constantly trying to coach them up. He said, that that creates an unhealthy culture. So when one of the parents asked what parents might do to break that, what, what is it that parents can do to create a healthy culture that they can lead in their homes and create this healthy culture for the student athletes? He said, the most important thing that you can do, the number one thing that you can do, is to tell your kid, I love to watch you play. I love to watch you play. I love watching you play. He said, that's enough. So what am I trying to get at? Show me your culture, and I can tell you something about your leaders. Show me your company, and I can tell you something about your boss. Show me your youth sports culture, and I can tell you something about parents, when it comes to creating culture, leadership matters. Leadership matters. Well, today is what we typically call Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday before we begin a new liturgical calendar year next week with the beginning of Advent. And on this particular day, we elevate the Lordship of Christ. We confess and profess that He is Lord of our lives. We say that he's Lord of the church. We say that he's Lord of the cosmos. We call to mind the words of Paul, once written to the believers in Philippi, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord is the most important confession that Christians make. Jesus is Lord is the most important confessional standard of the church. And I would like to suggest that to say Jesus is Lord also means that Jesus is leader. That Jesus is leader. And it stands to reason that His leadership, His lordship, should produce a particular culture within the Christian community. If He is our leader then there is a particular culture that should emerge within our midst. In the same way we look at a company's culture or a youth sport culture and recognize the supreme influence of leadership, the same is true about the church. A church's culture says something. A church's culture says something about how they appropriate the lordship of Christ. How they appropriate the lordship of Christ. I mean, think about it. A church that never changes says something about how they appropriate the Lordship of Christ. A church that cares more about institutional survival than risky and radical neighborly love tells us something about how the church is appropriating the Lordship of Christ. A church that cares about the color and design of Starbucks holiday cups (laughs) tells us something about how that church is appropriating the lordship of Christ. A church that preferences the opinions of politicians and pundits over the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, illuminating for us our holy scriptures, that preferences politicians and pundits over the scriptures when it comes to how the church is called to love and bless the foreigner the refugee, the poor, and the outcast, that church culture says something about how they appropriate the lordship of Christ. On this Christ the King Sunday, we hear John 18 read again and become familiar once more with this exchange between Jesus and Pilate on the eve of his execution. We hear Jesus say, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom, the culture that I came to live for, the reign that I came to die for, is counterintuitive to the dominant values of the Roman Empire and those religious gatekeepers at the time. Instead of picking up a sword to conquer, Jesus picks up a towel and he washes feet Instead of cursing his enemies, he blesses them and prays for them. Instead of ignoring those on the margins of society, sinners and women and children, he brings them to his very self. Instead of saying, hey, just be happy. Live for yourself. He says, be faithful. Live for God. Be perfect as God is perfect. Be obedient. Be pure. Be holy. Come and follow me. His lordship... Is countercultural. And it establishes a countercultural community that values a very particular way of being human and values a very particular way of being the church. A good family friend, Reverend Dr. Darren Kennedy, is in town for the Society of Biblical Literature and the American Academy of Religion conference that is happening here in Atlanta this weekend. Darren is a Presbyterian mission co-worker, he is a pastor, and he's a professor of theology at the Evangelical Theological Seminary of Cairo, Egypt. I invited him to share some time with our session on Tuesday night, to share about his ministry, to share about his context, to share what is happening in Egypt and throughout the Middle East when it comes to the church's work and witness He talked with our session about how the gospel sometimes calls us to risky and unconventional witness. This is true in his own life as he was called from middle America, from Kansas, to serve in the Middle East. Darren continued to share about some of his students studying to be pastors, and he was sharing with us how many of them feel called to go to Syria or to go to Iraq to start churches there, or to continue ministry of churches that have been abandoned or pastors have been killed. While so many Christians and while so many people of all faiths are fleeing these countries, these pastors are feeling called by God to actually move into them. This not only seems counterintuitive to the secular world, but also might seem counterintuitive to Christians living in North America Right? I mean, think about it this week. While our country is debating whether or not to accept Syrian refugees, this community is debating and conversing how to best equip its pastors to go into Syria. Think about that dissonance. Think about the difference between those two conversations. It certainly says something, doesn't it, about how they appropriate the lordship of Christ. It lives out what we believe to be true in baptism, that in life and in death and in all things, we belong to God. As Darren was sharing on Tuesday night, he couldn't help but to share about these students and their gratitude for God's faithfulness in their life. And he directly connected that gratitude with their call to ministry, with their call to serve, with their call in bold humility to go to places that you and I would never want to go. And so here it is, and I close with this. It's at the heart of this idea of what kind of culture does Christ's lordship produce in us. I think Christ's lordship should produce in us a culture of gratitude that produces action, a culture of gratitude that produces action These people, these seminarians are are grateful for what God has done. And they're turning that gratitude into action by the ways in which they're answering God's call upon their lives. The same ought to be true for us here at First Press and in Atlanta. If Jesus is our leader, if Jesus is our leader, and his lordship should produce a culture of gratitude that is expressed in action because what Christ has done for us. As the prophet Joel recounts God's faithfulness that is coming known to him, coming to be known by him, the same is true for us. We come to be aware of God's faithfulness and God's good work in our lives, and we then respond with action. Christ gave his life And so we're called to give ours. We do that when we're grateful for this gift and we give our lives over to his mission. Even when we're sinners, Christ welcomed us. He welcomed us. We are grateful for that welcome and so we welcome others. We welcome friends and we welcome strangers. We welcome citizens and as the church, we welcome refugees. That's part of our mission. Jesus got down on his hands and his knees and he served us. We are grateful and so we serve. He forgave us and we are grateful and so we forgive. He has healed us, we are grateful, so we go about the work of healing in a broken and sin-sick world. Friends, you can tell a lot about a church by its culture and how it appropriates the lordship of Christ. May Christ's reign and his lordship produce in us and in our community a culture of gratitude that has us responding with lives of service, with radical welcome, with forgiveness, with healing, and with generosity. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be true in our time and our place and all of God's people say amen. As God's people, I'd invite you to stand. Let us affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed printed in your order for worship. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please remain standing. I'm going to invite Brant and Carla Farrell, who have served with such grace and hard work as our co-chairs for our annual campaign, we ask the congregation to share with us through uh, our online platform prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude. And so for our morning prayer this morning, Brant and Carla are going to read some of those prayers of thanksgiving that you wrote. As our morning prayer and our collective prayer together, they will lead us into the Lord's prayer after they share those. Typically on the last day of a campaign, we do different things. Today, we're going to do something totally new and different. I'm going to invite you to just simply extend your hand out in front of you and gently put it, not hard, but gently put it on the shoulder of somebody standing in front of you. This is a sign and a symbol that we belong to each other. It's a sign and a symbol that we need each other. I'm going to invite the pastors and Jerry to go down and to kind of bridge the gap in the front and to cross and grab some hands of folks down there. Again, as a sign and a symbol that we need each other and that these are our collective prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done.
2: Let us pray. Generous God, thank you for this church home and for the opportunities we have to learn and to connect with different people from all walks of life.
3: Generous God, thank you for the members and volunteers who lead and work our Sunday morning breakfast for our vulnerable neighbors and friends.
2: Generous God, thank you for the privilege it is to worship you in this beautiful sanctuary.
3: Generous God, thank you for the inclusiveness and sense of wonder inherent in our community of faith.
2: Generous God, thank you for the love we feel in this church.
3: Generous God, thank you for your grace and blessing through the many resources and talents of this congregation.
2: Generous God, thank you for making this church a lighthouse in the stormy seas of life.
3: Generous God, thank you for the open faces, kind hearts, and purposeful work.
2: Generous God, thank you for our global and ministry partnerships throughout the world and here in Atlanta.
3: Generous God, thank you for all your provisions. Teach us to name our blessings. Teach us to be grateful in the midst of suffering. Teach us humility teach us financial generosity, and teach us what it means to call you Lord and create in our church a culture of gratitude. We pray in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Our Father,
2: Father, who who art art in heaven, heaven, hallowed hallowed be thy thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give Give us this day our daily bread and and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Uh, it is a great privilege to have in our midst today the Reverend Dr. Craig Barnes, who is the president of Princeton Theological Seminary uh... craig is here uh, for the uh... society of biblical literature the american academy of religion conference and uh, he said he was going to be in worship and i asked him if he would bring greetings from princeton and give us uh, a benediction as well to conclude our time of worship craig it is great to have you today here at first press
4: thank you tony princeton theological seminary is very grateful to this congregation for your many years of partnership with us in fulfilling our mission to form and shape the next generation of church leaders. I know there's a lot of anxiety about the future of the church these days. If you're concerned about the church's future, I encourage you to pray for all of our seminaries, because that's where the future leadership is today, in a seminary classroom, catching a vision of what it means to be grateful for the grace we have received in Jesus Christ and passionate to follow him into every corner of the world. We need your prayers and are grateful for them. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.